0: Chapter 8 of Capital, Volume 1. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Anna Simon. Capital, a critical analysis of capitalist production, Volume 1, by Karl Marx. Translated from the third German edition by Samuel Moore and Edward Aveling, and edited by Frederick Engels. Part 3 The Production of Absolute Surplus Value. CHAPTER Eight, CONSTANT CAPITAL AND VARIABLE CAPITAL The various factors of the labour process play different parts in forming the value of the product. The labourer adds fresh value to the subject of his labour by expending upon it a given amount of additional labour, no matter what the specific character and utility of that labour may be. On the other hand, the values of the means of production used up in the process are preserved and present themselves afresh, as constituent parts of the value of the product. The values of the cotton and the spindle, for instance, reappear again in the value of the yarn. The value of the means of production is therefore preserved by being transferred to the product. This transfer takes place during the conversion of those means into a product, or, in other words, during the labour process. It is brought about by labour. But how? the laborer does not perform two operations at once one in order to add value to the cotton the other in order to preserve the value of the means of production or what amounts to the same thing to transfer to the yarn to the product the value of the cotton on which he works and part of the value of the spindle with which he works but by the very act of adding new value he preserves their former values since however the addition of new value to the subject of his labor and the preservation of its former value are two entirely distinct results produced simultaneously by the laborer during one operation. It is plain that this twofold nature of the result can be explained only by the twofold nature of his labor. At one and the same time, it must, in one character, create value, and in another character, preserve or transfer value. Now, in what manner does every laborer add new labor and consequently new value? Evidently only by labouring productively in a particular way, the spinner by spinning, the weaver by weaving, the smith by forging. But, while thus incorporating labour generally, that is value, it is by the particular form alone of the labour, by the spinning, the weaving, and the forging, respectively, that the means of production, the cotton and spindle, the yarn and loom, and the iron and anvil, become constituent elements of the product, of a new use value. Footnote. Quote, labor gives a new creation for one extinguished end quote. an essay on the political economy of nations london eighteen twenty one page thirteen and footnote each use value disappears but only to reappear under a new form in a new use value now we saw when we were considering the process of creating value that if a use value be effectively consumed in the production of a new use value the quantity of labor expended in the production of the consumed article forms a portion of the quantity of labor necessary to produce a new-use value this portion is therefore labor transferred from the means of production to the new product hence the laborer preserves the values of the consumed means of production or transfers them as portions of its value to the product not by virtue of his additional labor abstractedly considered but by virtue of the particular useful character of that labour, by virtue of its special productive form. Insofar, then, as labour is such specific productive activity, insofar as it is spinning, weaving, or forging, it raises, by mere contact, the means of production from the dead, makes them living factors of the labour process, and combines with them to form the new products." if the special productive labour of the workman were not spinning he could not convert the cotton into yarn and therefore could not transfer the values of the cotton and spindle to the yarn suppose the same workman were to change his occupation to that of a joiner he would still by a day's labour add value to the material he works upon consequently we see first that the addition of new value takes place not by virtue of his labour being spinning in particular or joinering in particular but because it is labour in the abstract, a portion of the total labour of society. And we see next that the value added is of a given definite amount, not because its labour has a special utility, but because it is exerted for a definite time. On the one hand, then, it is by virtue of its general character, as being expenditure of human labour-power in the abstract, that spinning adds new value to the values of the cotton and the spindle, And on the other hand, it is by virtue of its special character, as being a concrete, useful process, that the same labor of spinning both transfers the values of the means of production to the product, and preserves them in the product. Hence, at one and the same time, there is produced a twofold result. By the simple addition of a certain quantity of labor, new value is added, and by the quality of this added labor, the original values of the means of production are preserved in the product. This twofold effect, resulting from the twofold character of labour, may be traced in various phenomena. Let us assume that some invention enables the spinner to spin as much cotton in six hours as he was able to spin before in thirty six hours. His labour is now six times as effective as it was for the purposes of useful production. The product of six hours' work has increased sixfold, from six pounds to thirty six pounds. But now the thirty-six pounds of cotton absorb only the same amount of labour as formerly did the six pounds. One-sixth as much new labour is absorbed by each pound of cotton, and consequently the value added by the labour to each pound is only one-sixth of what it formerly was. On the other hand, in the product, in the thirty-six pounds of yarn, the value transferred from the cotton is six times as great as before. By the six hours spinning, the value of the raw material preserved and transferred to the product is six times as great as before, although the new value added by the labour of the spinner to each pound of the very same raw material is one-sixth what it was formerly. This shows that the two properties of labour, by virtue of which it is enabled in one case to preserve value, and in the other to create value, are essentially different on the one hand the longer the time necessary to spin a given weight of cotton into yarn the greater is the new value added to the material on the other hand the greater the weight of the cotton spun in a given time the greater is the value preserved by being transferred from it to the product let us now assume that the productiveness of the spinner's labour instead of varying remains constant that he therefore requires the same time as he formerly did to convert one pound of cotton into yarn but that the exchange value of the cotton varies, either by rising to six times its former value, or falling to one-sixth of that value. In both these cases, the spinner puts the same quantity of labour into a pound of cotton, and therefore adds as much value as he did before the change in the value. He also produces a given weight of yarn in the same time as he did before. Nevertheless, the value that he transfers from the cotton to the yarn is either one-sixth of what it was before the variation, or as the case may be six times as much as before the same result occurs when the value of the instruments of labour rises or falls while our useful efficacy in the process remains unaltered again if the technical conditions of the spinning process remain unchanged and no change of value takes place in the means of production the spinner continues to consume in equal working times equal quantities of raw material and equal quantities of machinery of unvarying value The value that he preserves in the product is directly proportional to the new value that he adds to the product. In two weeks he incorporates twice as much labor, and therefore twice as much value as in one week, and during the same time he consumes twice as much material, and wears out twice as much machinery, of double the value in each case. He therefore preserves, in the product of two weeks, twice as much value as in the product of one week so long as the conditions of production remain the same, the more value the labourer adds by fresh labour, the more value he transfers and preserves. But he does so merely because this addition of new value takes place under conditions that have not varied and are independent of his own labour. Of course, it may be said in one sense that the labourer preserves old value always in proportion to the quantity of new value that he adds. Whether the value of cotton rise from one shilling to two shillings or fall to sixpence, the workman invariably preserves in the product of one hour only half as much value as he preserves in two hours. In like manner, if the productiveness of his own labour varies by rising or falling, he will in one hour spin either more or less cotton, as the case may be, than he did before, and will consequently preserve in the product of one hour more or less value of cotton. But, all the same, he will preserve by two hours labour twice as much value as he will by one. Value exists only in articles of utility, in objects. We leave out of consideration its purely symbolical representation by tokens. Man himself, viewed as the impersonation of labor-power, is a natural object, a thing, although a living, conscious thing, and labor is the manifestation of this power residing in him. If, therefore, an article loses its utility, it also loses its value, the reason why means of production do not lose their value at the same time that they lose their use value is this they lose in the labor process the original form of their use value only to assume in the product the form of a new use value but however important it may be to value that it should have some object of utility to embody itself in yet it is a matter of complete indifference what particular object serves this purpose this we saw when treating of the metamorphosis of commodities Hence it follows that in the labor process the means of production transfer their value to the product only so far as along with their use value they lose also their exchange value. They give up to the product that value alone which they themselves lose as means of production. But in this respect the material factors of the labor process do not all behave alike. The coal burnt under the boiler vanishes without leaving a trace. So too the tallow with which the axles of wheels are greased. Dye stuffs and other auxiliary substances also vanish but reappear as properties of the product. Raw material forms the substance of the product, but only after it has changed its form. Hence, raw material and auxiliary substances lose the characteristic form with which they are clothed on entering the labor process. It is otherwise with the instruments of labor. Tools, machines, workshops and vessels are of use in the labor process only so long as they retain their original shape, and are ready each morning to renew the process with their shape unchanged, and just as during their lifetime, that is to say, during the continued labor process in which they serve, they retain their shape independent of the product, so too they do after their death. The corpses of machines, tools, workshops, etc. are always separate and distinct from the product they help to turn out. If we now consider the case of any instrument of labor during the whole period of its service, from the day of its entry into the workshop till the day of its banishment into the lumber room, we find that during this period its use value has been completely consumed, and therefore its exchange value completely transferred to the product. For instance, if a spinning machine lasts for ten years, it is plain that during that working period its total value is gradually transferred to the product of the ten years. The lifetime of an instrument of labor, therefore, is spent in the repetition of greater or less number of similar operations. Its life may be compared with that of a human being. Every day brings a man twenty-four hours nearer to his grave, but how many days he has still to travel on that road no man can tell accurately by merely looking at him. This difficulty, however, does not prevent life insurance officers from drawing, by means of the theory of averages, very accurate and at the same time very profitable conclusions so it is with the instruments of labour it is known by experience how long on the average a machine of a particular kind will last suppose its use value in the labour process to last only six days then on the average it loses each day one-sixth of its use value and therefore parts with one-sixth of its value to the daily product the wear and tear of all instruments their daily loss of use value and the corresponding quantity of value they part with to the product are accordingly calculated upon this basis it is thus strikingly clear that means of production never transfer more value to the product than they themselves lose during the labor process by the destruction of their own use value if such an instrument has no value to lose, if, in other words, it is not the product of human labor, it transfers no value to the product. It helps to create use-value without contributing to the formation of exchange-value. In this class are included all means of production supplied by nature without human assistance, such as land, wind, water, metals in situ, and timber in virgin forests. Yet another interesting phenomenon here presents itself. Suppose a machine to be worth one thousand pounds, and to wear out in one thousand days. Then one thousandth part of the value of the machine is daily transferred to the day's product. At the same time, though with diminishing vitality, the machine as a whole continues to take part in the labor process. Thus it appears that one factor of the labor process, a means of production, continually enters as a whole into that process, while it enters into the process of the formation of value by fractions only. The difference between the two processes is here reflected in their material factors, by the same instrument of production taking part as a whole in the labour process, while at the same time as an element in the formation of value it enters only by fractions. Footnote. The subject of repairs of the implements of labour does not concern us here. A machine that is undergoing repair no longer plays the part of an instrument, but that of a subject of labour. Work is no longer done with it, but upon it. It is quite permissible for our purpose to assume that the labor expended on the repairs of instruments is included in the labor necessary for the original production, but in the text we deal with that wear and tear which no doctor can cure, and which little by little brings about death, with, quote, that kind of wear which cannot be repaired from time to time, and which, in the case of a knife, would ultimately reduce it to a state in which the cutler would say of it, it is not worth a new blade, End quote we have shown in the text that a machine takes part in every labor process as an integral machine but that into the simultaneous process of creating value it enters only bit by bit how great then is the confusion of ideas exhibited in the following extract mr ricardo says a portion of the labor of the engineer in making stocking machines is contained for example in the value of a pair of stockings Yet the total labor that produced each single pair of stockings includes the whole labor of the engineer, not a portion, for one machine makes many pairs, and none of those pairs could have been done without any part of the machine. End quote. Observations on certain verbal disputes in political economy, particularly relating to value. Page 54. The author, an uncommonly self-satisfied wiseguy, is right in his confusion, and therefore in his contention, to this extent only, that neither Ricardo, nor any other economist, before or since him, has accurately distinguished the two aspects of labour, and still less, therefore, the part played by it under each of these aspects in the formation of value. On the other hand, a means of production may take part as a whole in the formation of value while into the labour process it enters only bit by bit supposing that in spinning cotton the waste for every one hundred and fifteen pounds used amounts to fifteen pounds which is converted not into yarn but into devil's dust now although this fifteen pounds of cotton never becomes a constituent element of the yarn yet assuming this amount of waste to be normal and inevitable under average conditions of spinning its value is just as surely transferred to the value of the yarn as is the value of the one hundred pounds that form the substance of the yarn the use value of fifteen pounds of cotton must vanish into dust before one hundred pounds of yarn can be made the destruction of this cotton is therefore a necessary condition in the production of the yarn and because it is a necessary condition, and for no other reason, the value of that cotton is transferred to the product. The same holds good for every kind of refuse resulting from a labor process, so far at least as such refuse cannot be further employed as a means in the production of new and independent use values. Such an employment of refuse may be seen in the large machine works at Manchester where mountains of iron-turnings are carted away to the foundry in the evening, in order the next morning to reappear in the workshops as solid masses of iron. We have seen that the means of production transfer value to the new product, so far only as during the labour process they lose value in the shape of their old use value. The maximum loss of value that they can suffer in the process is plainly limited by the amount of the original value with which they came into the process, or, in other words, by the labour time necessary for their production. Therefore, the means of production can never add more value to the product than they themselves possess independently of the process in which they assist. However useful a given kind of raw material, or a machine, or other means of production may be, though it may cost one hundred and fifty pounds, or, say, five hundred days' labour, yet it cannot, under any circumstances, add to the value of the product more than 150 pounds. Its value is determined not by the labour process into which it enters as a means of production, but by that out of which it has issued as a product. In the labour process it only serves as a mere use value, a thing with useful properties, and could not, therefore, transfer any value to the product, unless it possessed such value previously. Footnote. From this we may judge of the absurdity of J. B. Say, who pretends to account for surplus value, interest, profit, rent, by the service productif, which the means of production, soil, instruments, and raw material, render in the labor process by means of their use values. Mr. William Rosher, who seldom loses an occasion of registering, in black and white, ingenious apologetic fancies, records the following specimen. Quote, J. B. Say, traite, volume one, chapter four, very truly remarks the value produced by an oil mill, after a deduction of all costs, is something new, something quite different from the labor by which the oil mill itself was erected. citato, page eighty two, note. Very true, Mr. Professor. The oil produced by the oil mill is indeed something very different from the labor expended in constructing the mill by value mr rusher understands such stuff as oil because oil has value notwithstanding that nature produces petroleum though relatively in small quantities a fact to which he seems to refer in his further observation quote, it nature produces scarcely any exchange value mr rusher's nature and the exchange value it produces are rather like the foolish virgin who admitted indeed that she had had a child but it was such a little one. This savant sérieux, in continuation, remarks, quote, Ricardo's school is in the habit of including capital as accumulated labour under the head of labour. This is unskilful work, because, indeed, the owner of capital, after all, does something more than the merely creating and preserving of the same, namely, the abstention from the enjoyment of it, for which he demands, for example, interest. How very skilful is this anatomico-physiological method of political economy, which, indeed, converts a mere desire, after all, into a source of value! While productive labor is changing the means of production into constituent elements of a new product, their value undergoes a metempsychosis, It deserts the consumed body to occupy the newly created one. But this transmigration takes place, as it were, behind the back of the labourer. He is unable to add new labour, to create new value, without at the same time preserving old values, and this, because the labour he adds, must be of a specific useful kind, and he cannot do work of a useful kind without employing products as the means of production of a new product and thereby transferring their value to the new product. The property, therefore, which labor-power in action, living labor, possesses of preserving value, at the same time that it adds it, is a gift of nature which costs the laborer nothing, but which is very advantageous to the capitalist inasmuch as it preserves the existing value of his capital. Footnote. Quote, Of all the instruments of the farmer's trade, the labour of man is that on which he is most to rely for the repayment of his capital. The other two, the working stock of the cattle, and the carts, ploughs, spades, and so forth, without a given portion of the first, are nothing at all. Edmund Burke, Thoughts and Details on Scarcity, originally presented to the Right Honourable William Pitt in the month of November 1795, edition, London, 1800, page 10. And footnote. So long as trade is good, the capitalist is too much absorbed in money-grubbing to take notice of this gratuitous gift of labor. A violent interruption of the labor process by a crisis makes him sensitively aware of it. Footnote. In the times of 26th November, 1862, a manufacturer, whose mill employed 800 hands and consumed, on the average, 150 bales of East Indian or one hundred and thirty bales of American cotton, complains in doleful manner of the standing expenses of his factory when not working. He estimates them at six thousand pounds a year. Among them are a number of items that do not concern us here, such as rent, rates and taxes, insurance, salaries of the manager, bookkeeper, engineer and others. Then he reckons one hundred and fifty pounds for coal used to heat the mill occasionally, and run the engine now and then. Besides this, he includes the wages of the people employed at all times to keep the machinery in working order. Lastly, he puts down 1,200 pounds for depreciation of machinery because the weather and the natural principle of decay do not suspend their operations because the steam engine ceases to revolve. He says emphatically he does not estimate his depreciation at more than the small sum of 1,200 pounds, because his machinery is already nearly worn out. End footnote. As regards the means of production, what has really consumed is their use-value, and the consumption of this use-value by labor results in the product. There is no consumption of their value, and it would therefore be inaccurate to say that it is reproduced. Footnote. Quote, Productive consumption, where the consumption of a commodity is a part of the process of production in these instances there is no consumption of value. S. P. Newman, Lococetato, page two hundred ninety six. It is rather preserved, not by reason of any operation it undergoes itself in the process, but because the article in which it originally exists vanishes, it is true, but vanishes into some other article. Hence, in the value of the product, there is a reappearance of the value of the means of production but there is strictly speaking no reproduction of that value that which is produced is a new use value in which the old exchange value reappears footnote in an american compendium that has gone through perhaps twenty editions this passage occurs it matters not in what form capital reappears then after a lengthy enumeration of all the possible ingredients of production whose value reappears in the product The passage concludes thus The various kinds of food, clothing, and shelter necessary for the existence and comfort of the human being are also changed. They are consumed from time to time, and their value reappears in that new vigor imparted to his body and mind, forming fresh capital, to be employed again in the work of production. F. Wayland, Locus Citato, pages 31 and 32. Without noticing any other oddities, it suffices to observe that what reappears in the fresh vigour is not the bread's price, but its blood-forming substances. What, on the other hand, reappears in the value of that vigour is not the means of subsistence, but their value. The same necessaries of life, at half the price, would form just as much muscle and bone, just as much vigour, but not vigour of the same value. This confusion of value and vigour, coupled with our author's pharisaical indefiniteness mark an attempt futile for all that to thrash out an explanation of surplus value from a mere reappearance of pre-existing values it is otherwise with the subjective factor of the labor process with labor power in action while the laborer by virtue of his labor being of a specialized kind that has a special object preserves and transfers to the product the value of the means of production He, at the same time, by the mere act of working, creates each instant an additional or new value. Suppose the process of production to be stopped just when the workman has produced an equivalent for the value of his own labor-power, when, for example, by six hours' labor he has added a value of three shillings. This value is the surplus, of the total value of the product, over the portion of its value that is due to the means of production. It is the only original bit of value formed during this process, the only portion of the value of the product created by this process. Of course, we do not forget that this new value only replaces the money advanced by the capitalist in the purchase of the labor power, and spent by the laborer on the necessaries of life. With regard to the money spent, the new value is merely a reproduction, but nevertheless it is an actual, and not, as in the case of the value of the means of production, only an apparent, Reproduction. The substitution of one value for another is here effected by the creation of new value. We know, however, from what has gone before, that the labor process may continue beyond the time necessary to reproduce and incorporate in the product a mere equivalent for the value of the labor power. Instead of the six hours that are sufficient for the latter purpose, the process may continue for twelve hours. The action of labor power, therefore, not only reproduces its own value, but produces value over and above it. This surplus value is the difference between the value of the product and the value of the elements consumed in the formation of that product, in other words, of the means of production and the labor power. By our explanation of the different parts played by the various factors of the labor process in the formation of the product's value, we have, in fact, disclosed the characters of the different functions allotted to the different elements of capital in the process of expanding its own value. The surplus of the total value of the product over the sum of the values of its constituent factors is the surplus of the expanded capital over the capital originally advanced. The means of production on the one hand labour power on the other are merely the different modes of existence which the value of the original capital assumed when, from being money, it was transformed into the various factors of the labour process. That part of capital, then, which is represented by the means of production, by the raw material, auxiliary material, and the instruments of labour, does not, in the process of production, undergo any quantitative alteration of value. I therefore call it the constant part of capital, or, more shortly, constant capital. On the other hand, that part of capital, represented by labor-power, does, in the process of production, undergo an alteration of value. It both reproduces the equivalent of its own value, and also produces an excess, a surplus-value, which may itself vary, maybe more or less according to circumstances. This part of capital is continually being transformed from a constant into a variable magnitude. I therefore call it the variable part of capital, or, shortly, variable capital. The same elements of capital which, from the point of view of the labour process, present themselves respectively as the objective and subjective factors, as means of production and labour-power, present themselves, from the point of view of the process of creating surplus-value, as constant and variable capital. The definition of constant capital given above by no means excludes the possibility of a change of value in its elements. Suppose the price of cotton to be one day sixpence a pound, and the next day, in consequence of a failure of the cotton crop, a shilling a pound. Each pound of the cotton bought at sixpence, and worked up after the rise in value, transfers to the product a value of one shilling, and the cotton already spun before the rise, and perhaps circulating in the market as yarn, likewise transfers to the product twice its original value it is plain however that these changes of value are independent of the increment or surplus value added to the value of the cotton by the spinning itself if the old cotton had never been spun it could after the rise be resold at a shilling a pound instead of at sixpence further the fewer the processes the cotton has gone through the more certain is this result we therefore find that speculators make it a rule when such sudden changes in value occur to speculate in that material on which the least possible quantity of labour has been spent to speculate therefore in yarn rather than in cloth in cotton itself rather than in yarn the change of value in the case we have been considering originates not in the process in which the cotton plays the part of a means of production and in which it therefore functions as constant capital but in the process in which the cotton itself is produced the value of a commodity it is true is determined by the quantity of labour contained in it but this quantity is itself limited by social conditions if the time socially necessary for the production of any commodity alters and a given weight of cotton represents after a bad harvest more labour than after a good one all previously existing commodities of the same class are affected because they are as it were only individuals of the species and their value at any given time is measured by the labor socially necessary—that is, by the labor necessary for their production under the then existing social conditions. Footnote. Quote, Toutes les productions de même genre ne forment proprement qu'une masse dont le prix se détermine en général et sans égard aux circonstances particulières. End quote. Le Tron, Locosateto, page 893. Footnote. as the value of the raw material may change so too may that of the instruments of labour of the machinery etc employed in the process and consequently that portion of the value of the product transferred to it from them may also change if in consequence of a new invention machinery of a particular kind can be produced by a diminished expenditure of labour The old machinery becomes depreciated more or less, and consequently transfers so much less value to the product, but here again the change in value originates outside the process in which the machine is acting as a means of production. Once engaged in this process, the machine cannot transfer more value than it possesses apart from the process. Just as a change in the value of the means of production, even after they have commenced to take a part in the labour process, does not alter their character as constant capital, so too a change in the proportion of constant to variable capital does not affect the respective functions of these two kinds of capital the technical conditions of the labor process may be revolutionized to such an extent that where formerly ten men using ten implements of small value worked up a relatively small quantity of raw material one man may now with the aid of one expensive machine work up one hundred times as much raw material In the latter case, we have an enormous increase in the constant capital that is represented by the total value of the means of production used, and at the same time a great reduction in the variable capital invested in labor power. Such a revolution, however, alters only the quantitative relation between the constant and the variable capital, or the proportions in which the total capital is split up into its constant and variable constituents. It has not in the least degree affected the essential difference between the two. End of chapter 8